this is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries Podcast. We have been going through a series called The Bible Message in a Nutshell, and today we continue with an important look at the fall of man. Here is Tori Bjorklund, President of TRC Ministries, teaching at Caravan Fellowship in Part 4 of The Bible Message in a Nutshell. Okay, I've been talking about the gospel, and um, a few weeks back, I read you my overview of the message of good news, and now I've been breaking it down into smaller, bite-sized pieces and discussing that. The uh, first week, we talked about creation. And then the second week we talked about man. And I, uh, there were a couple of points that I didn't quite get to from the, that one. And then I wanted to get into the fall of man. And so just as a review from, last, from the last time I spoke two weeks ago, I'm just going to read a few paragraphs real quickly here. And we won't break it apart, but there's two pieces I do want to touch on. So we had been talking about um, creation, and, uh, and I start out here by saying, finally, God created his crown jewel of material creation, mankind. In man, he placed a special kind of life, spiritual life, just like that of the other spiritual beings, the angels and himself. This life was never ceasing and immaterial. It was the same substance of reality that existed prior to matter, it was substantial because it occupies our body, but was non-material and could not be physically observed, except as it influences physical matter in which it dwells. Man was, and is, non-material, yet personal. You only have to see a dead body to know that the body is not what makes us personal, only what makes us physically present. Once the spirit leaves, the body ceases to be personal and it is only material. One of the most significant characteristics of a spiritual being is the ability to create. Spiritual beings create through the use of their will. They choose to bring into existence that which is within their power to create. God is the only being with unlimited power and therefore unlimited potential for creation. Yet men and angels can significantly create through thought, imagination, and will by using the physical and spiritual existence provided to them by God. So, this statement is an important one. Along with creativity comes the ability to act morally. So, with will comes morality. All spiritual beings, including man, are moral beings. So, we find the initial... Moral instruction in Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17. We won't spend the time to go there, but you might remember that's where God, after having created Adam, he told him that he could eat from any vegetable on the earth. Vegetables had been given, plant life had been given to feed the animals and to feed man, and that he could eat from any fruit of any tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is a moral choice that was placed before 
Adam and shows that he had moral option. The second thing I want to point out is God also gave man dominion. He intended man to rule over the land, the sea, and the heavens. He was made as a steward, a husbandman, if you will, over the rest of creation. And we find that in Genesis 1, 26-28. That's where you find God first saying, let us make man in our own image and let him rule over this. And he explicitly talks about the animals and the whole earth and the heavens. And then after having made man, he tells him, to be fruitful and multiply, and to exercise dominion over any lists. The animals in the air, animals in the sea, animals that creep on the land. He mentions the earth, and he mentions the heavens. And so this was part of what God intended. So I went through my assertions there that man, and one of those I wanted to mention today is that he is moral, having the ability to evaluate right and wrong and to choose based on his will. It's also, by the way, I wanted to mention that under uh, the fact that we are creative, we have creative powers, the results of our choices represent our will. And I said that last week, but what I didn't say is that our will can be virtuous or depraved. That mankind was created that way. And then that God intended man to rule, to use his creative powers to exercise dominion over creation. So, now we move into the fall of man. The original bodies of mankind were created and intended to exist materially as long as our spirit exists. Mankind was intended to unceasingly exist physically. However, something happened to make that impossible. In the habitat created for mankind, God placed the means for the continual sustenance of an everlasting body. What was that means? The tree of life. Genesis 2.9 He made man as a moral being and gave him the opportunity to act morally. Man had the opportunity to be virtuous or depraved, morally pure or morally corrupt, by continually acting in obedience to God or by disobeying God. This opportunity came by way of another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil also found in Genesis 2.9. He commanded mankind to never eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sternly warned him that if he did, he would surely die. Genesis 2.16 and 17. So let's, I want to pick that apart a little bit. Man was created with the ability to live forever in our material body. Now, not everybody believes that, but Something changed, and this is my assertion, that something changed, and our bodies today are not what they were when we were first created. But it's not only that. What we find is that man had access and permission to use the tree of life. We find this in Genesis 2.9. And you might remember, after the fall, 
when God drove man out of the garden, what was the reason for that? To keep them away from the tree of life. Why was that? He want, he wanted to redeem us. And we find in Peter that there will be a new creation of the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth will be recreated. We find in the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Paul that we will receive a new body that will be a real body. But it will be suited to be in existence forever and ever, unceasing. And we will once again, we find in Revelation chapter 2-7 or chapter 22, that we will once again have access to the tree of life. So man had access to the tree of life. Man will be given a new body that is intended to exist forever. We find that in 1 Corinthians 15, 52. And man will again have access to the tree of life. When we see the teachings of the judgment of man after their death. So it is appointed to man to die once, and then comes judgment. And as we look through the scriptures, what we find is even those who are spiritually dead, their spirit exists. It's not clear to me, honestly, exactly what it means when hell and death are cast into the second death. I'm not exactly sure what all of that means, and if that means that they are unceasing after that or not. But certainly God, who created the spirit of man and the individual spirits of individual people, can destroy the individual spirits as well. But from what I can see, the actual intention of that existing spirit is to be existing indefinitely without ceasing. So if that's the case and you have God placing before people life and death, then you have to understand something to be different. We mean different. It means something different to be alive than to be existing and dead to be unexisting, non-existing spiritually. So every person has a spirit. The question, and we've talked about this in great detail, haven't we? The question of spiritual life is the same question of any life, which is the term that we use is teleonomy. And what is that? It's the functioning in the way it was intended to function of utilizing Technically, the scientists refer to as goal-directed, but functionality. And that we see things like metabolism and things like that in physical life actually functioning the way it was intended to function. So spiritual death doesn't mean that the spirit doesn't exist. It means that the spirit is not actually functioning the way it was intended to function. It can't take in the presence of God. It can't utilize the Spirit of God. It can't digest, if you will, the food of God and drink the water of God any more than a cadaver can utilize the oxygen around it, eat the food 
or digest the food given to it, or, you know, you can pump water into the stomach of a cadaver and it will not do it any good. And that is what spiritual death is. It's not the same as being unexisting or non non-existent. So man was created with the ability to live forever in our material body. But I also want to say that man was created as a moral being, having the ability to evaluate right and wrong and to choose based on his will. We just mentioned that earlier. And the third assertion in my previous paragraph was that man became mortal as a result of the fall. Mortality is the curse of Adam, not hell. So I want to read some of the verses there that I have for that. So let's just take a quick look at Genesis 3.19. This will all hopefully be very familiar to us. I'm going to say, let's start at verse 17, because there's a cause and effect here that we need to be aware of. So verse 17 of Genesis chapter 3, God is speaking, and he says to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. And now, because of that, he pronounces some curses. And he says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, and this is verse 19, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So this is the pronouncement of God as a result of the sin of Adam. Mortality is the curse of Adam. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 5. One of the more, in my opinion, more misunderstood passages. Romans chapter 5, and let's take a look at verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, this whole passage, the rest of chapter 5 pretty much, is really where we need to have that discussion of what it means to be spiritually dead and and so forth. That's not going to be my point right now, and so I'm going to uh, avoid it for today, um, but we will talk about it soon. But the thing that I want to point out is death here, and, and he goes on to explain it, for example, verse 13 and 14, he talks about that until the law, sin was in the world, but then he's speaking here as a man who really understood the concepts of law. It's not imputed when there's no law. But look, everybody died from Adam until Moses. That's his assertion in, in verse 14. Even those who hadn't sinned in the likeness of Adam. And his assertion here is that people were dying because Adam sinned. They became mortal because Adam sinned. And yes, today at the day that Paul was writing here, the law existed and people understood the law, understood, as he says in the next chapter, the wages of sin is death. But 
prior to Moses, people were still dying, even though none of that was known. And even though sin is not imputed without the law, they were dying. And so that is what Paul is asserting and referring to. Everybody was aware of that. People physically died. So man became mortal as a result of the fall. And that was part of the curse that God spoke to Adam. I want to read on and we'll get into a little bit more of this in detail. Man did eat from his from this forbidden fruit and as a result became morally corrupted. This changed everything. God put into place his previously conceived plan B. It was not his intention for man to disobey, and yet he planned for it and did not take him by surprise. God removed access to the tree of life, and his physical creation was modified, and the nature of physical reality changed. It was at this time that the law of entropy was instituted. This is, I think, made clear by that curse. Because you have done this, this will happen. And at that point, everything was temporary, became temporary, including the body of everything physical became temporary. The result is that we are no longer going to exist forever in this physical body. It, along with all other material things, will decay and cease to exist as an entity. And eventually, all that we know of this world and this physical universe will be destroyed and recreated once again without entropy. So just a word about entropy. What What is entropy? Somebody know what the second law of thermodynamics states? Things tend toward not being organized, the you know, chaos and disorganization. Okay? And that is a physical law and it's observed on a very regular basis. And what that looks like is things age and decay. They become less and less organized. And um and it's one of the most difficult things for materialists to explain in terms of how anything came to be. Because for anything to come to be, even if you have the given uh, requisite base materials, which they can't explain where they came from, but even if you give that, for those base materials to become more organized into beings such as mankind, you, you have to reverse entropy or apply something outside. But anyway, we find that everything becomes more and more run down over time. And God's going to rectify that. According to Peter in 2 Peter 3:10 through 13 that heavens and the earth will be destroyed. And we'll talk about that here in a minute. So, here's my assertions that I gave. Adam and Eve sinned by eating the forbidden fruit. This was sin and morally corrupted them. They were no longer virtuous or even innocent. Now, what's the difference between virtuous and innocent? I think innocence is uncondemned, and it can be for various reasons. But virtuous means that it would stand 
in the face of judgment. Innocence is not judged, whereas virtue is judged and found to be right. Uh, Virtue carries moral connotation. Innocence carries amoral connotation. It's not applying a moral standard. So we can have people, for example, that commit acts that they would otherwise be found guilty, but they are innocent by reason of insanity, for example. The word technically means that you don't apply that to them. And so it's not judged, whereas virtuous is judged and found to be right. And so it's morally right. The opposite of virtue is depraved or evil. It's found to be wrong. Now, I use the word uh, here, I'll talk about it here in just a minute, um, corruption, and partly because that's a, it's a good word, and the Bible uses it also, but I want to just say that they were no longer virtuous or even innocent. When man became corrupt, the rest of creation was also corrupted. Here's what corruption means. Um, now, there's several, like any word, if you look it up in the dictionary, you'll find multiple meanings, right? But if you read all of the meanings, you kind of get the gist of the word and how it applies in different situations are those specific meanings. One of those meanings of corruption is to alter from the original or correct form of um, uh, or version. So if you, if you alter or uh, from the original or correct form, it is corrupted. And mankind, when Adam sinned, became corrupt. Man was altered from the original form and from the original and correct form. And it means to not be pure, right? When we say something is corrupt, it's not pure also. And so the concept here of sin was moral corruption. It's a deviation from the correct moral form which is virtuous or righteous. So when man became corrupt, the rest of creation was also corrupted. And and how did that happen? Well, some of this we know and some of it we don't. So let me say this much. Because the capstone and ruler of creation. Okay, what do I mean by that? The capstone is God created all of this physical creation And then his crown jewel that he put on the top was man, created in his image. Nothing else was created in his image. And all the rest of it was put under the dominion of man. All the rest of the material world was put under the dominion of man at that time. And man was then the capstone and ruler of creation. Once that mankind, that had become corrupt. The rest of creation was now subject to corruption. So we we read in Romans 5.12, sin entered the world, and not just Adam and Eve. Sin entered the world. It didn't just enter Adam and Eve. It became part of the world. The world now became subject to corruption. Sin was the cause of the corruption of the world. Romans 8.20 tells us this. For the creation was subject to futility, 
not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Who subjected it? Verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it. Who is that? I think it was God also. And so this starts answering the question of how it happened. Because of Adam's sin, the world was subjected, but not by Adam, but by God. So God's creation was altered, and it became corrupt. Now, it's not clear if God acted directly at this time to modify his creation, or if he set up the physical system to have some natural trigger that when sin comes into the world, it causes it to spread through all of creation. I don't know what that would look like. My interpretation, so this is the speculation, but I think it fits with the reading. My interpretation is that God acted directly to change the physical world in which we live as a result of the sin of Adam. And he did so to make it temporary so that he could have the opportunity to recreate and redeem man and creation, the new creation, into the purpose for which it was originally created. So God wants to redeem man and redeem creation back to the purpose for which it was made. That's the big picture of the Bible. That's where you go from Genesis chapter 3, the fall, to Revelation chapter 22. God restoring all of creation back to the purpose for which it was created. Whether direct or indirect at this time, because of the corruption of man, the running down, the futility and subject to corruption, the slavery to corruption, that Paul talks about here, occurred after the fall of man. And our scientists observe that, and they refer to it as entropy. But it was injected by God, whether directly or indirectly, we're not told, because of the fall of man, because man sinned. Now, God wasn't surprised by this, we'll find in 1 Peter 1.20, and he had a plan from the very beginning to deal with this very situation. But he did not desire it any more than he desires that any person would be subject to destruction. God had a plan should this happen, but it was not his best and first plan. But God honors man's will and allows him to choose. And this is, you'll find this in Psalms, Psalms 32, verse 9. Um, we can throw verse 8 in there just to get the context. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. 
So what, what is he saying here? God is saying that he wants to give instruction and expect obedience and experience obedience. He doesn't want man to act like an unreasoning beast who needs to be trained and who needs to be controlled through bit and bridle. And God here is expressing his respect for man's ability to choose. And so because of this respect, God placed man in a, in a position to be able to be morally pure or morally corrupt, to be virtuous or depraved. And man, when placed in that position, we, we have no idea how long he remained morally pure. But at some point, man sinned, and this all changed. So even with entropy, the tree of life apparently can sustain life, so God removed access to it, we find in Genesis 3, 22-24. And as previously mentioned, man is mortal due to Adam's sin, and so without access to the tree of life, Man dies physically. The other thing is that the entire universe, I mentioned several times, Second Peter 3.10-13 through 13 talks about it, will be recreated and it will be intended to continue on forever. It will be without entropy and we will live in this new world. Now interestingly, Revelation 22.5, and we'll just read that and end with that. Revelation 22.5 says this, there will be no longer there shall no longer be any night they shall not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the lord god shall illumine them and they shall reign forever and ever you know we think and we're taught in schools today that the source of light is stars right all light comes from stars. Some of it's reflected, you know. The moon's not a source of light, right? Everybody knows that. It just reflects the, the nearest star's light. Not true. The source of light was God. God is the source of light. And he created it as a substance that operates in this physical world. When he recreates the new universe, the new heavens and the new earth, he's going to do it without, let's, I don't know if you could call them artificial sources of light, call it subsequent sources of light, sources that get their source from something else. He's just going to be that source of light. Whatever that means, I don't think that it's entirely metaphorical. I think it is actual. We will live in a universe with heavens and earth that will not be like this one, but will be like what God's original intent was for us to live in. And we will experience physical presence and everlasting existence. Today, we think of those things as two separate things, right? Because we are so used to being subject to a corrupted world 
living with corrupted bodies that are the remnant, the effect of sin leading all the way back to Adam. Let me pray. Father, first of all, I just want to thank you that you have shown respect for your creation in man and have given us the power to choose. And I thank you that you have revealed yourself in in every aspect of creation, showing yourself for who you are so that we might know and be without excuse. And um, I thank you for inviting us and being winsome in a way to invite us to choose life. Thank you for the remedy that you've provided because of the fall that mankind experienced through our father, Adam. And I thank you that you have prepared for us a way for us to be with you um, throughout the rest of eternity. And I, I thank you for that. And just pray that you will help us to understand how we can take this and be motivated by it, inspired by it, to grab hold of you and to get our life from you. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Our vision is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church using the resources of the kingdom of God. If you enjoyed the podcast and want to hear more messages by Tori Bjorklund, make sure to subscribe. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, visit our website at www.regenerationcenter.org.